everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. If 10,000 episodes is the number required to reach mastery, well, then we are a cool 5% the way there. Getting the old band back together is our favorite way to celebrate these big milestones, so I joined the crew in Austin, Texas to talk a little bit about law enforcement and a lot about love languages. Here it is, episode 500. I have a serious question. The, we're familiar with the five languages of love. Is there like a five Are we? senses of humor? Oh, I thought you were going to tell us what your language is and that well, it's, it's never it's, been fucking identified yet. There's quality a, time. There, we're still friends, right, John? First of all, I think we should... Why are your hands so sweaty? What have you been doing? <laughs> uh, we, trying to survive this podcast. We, so we should, I don't, we should see if we are familiar with the five languages of love. So there's what? Physical touch. Because I know, because I think I'm that person. I read the book. Who didn't? Um, what's the other one? Oh, words of affirmation. Yeah, uh, quality uh, time. Deeds, like good, good deeds. Gifts. Is that the Bible? Yeah, uh, gifts. Both. Gifts, like gifts. Yeah. Gift. Oh, gifts. Like if you send good gifts. Yeah, like some people oh, like gifts. Yeah. <laughs> some people like just like, like the way that they they um, uh, interpret love is by like how much free shit they like get. Like presents. Presents. Yeah. Not presents. Presence. I know. Presence. Yeah. <laughs> Quality time would be presence. Presence. Right. What about uh, gifts? Gifts. <clears throat> yeah, gifts. And then... Uh, so Somebody shut that baby up. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, gifts. Quality time. Uh, present. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess that would be gifts. Um, goddamn recap. Well, yeah. Now I'm totally confused. Why do you keep fucking putting an emphasis on <clears throat> present? Because he doesn't want to think presence like C-E. Presence. Yeah, like presence. Like mm-hmm. commanding presence. Yeah, it's the same thing. Which was my nickname in college. Oh. Uh, <laughs> just bringing a little Luke Summers oh, into that. <laughs> uh, High school? Good shtick. Um, anyhow. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was almost like automatic. When somebody would say something, uh, I'd be like, nickname in high school. And Luke I know. would be like, that was my nickname in high school. You can already like, see just the wheels uh, turning. Oh, dude. And, like, you know, and it was like the cobwebs had to clear out. It was like like starting like an old car, like, boom, it explodes to life. And you're like, oh, there he is. He got two chugga chuggas. Oh, brother. Well, what would be the five senses of humor? Gifts is probably one. Memes. Sarcasm. Dad jokes. Irony. Ooh. Irony, so like story t- humor, storytelling, storytelling, and physical and then humor. Physical, yeah. all right. Yeah. I like the Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. Robin and, Williams most times. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Gallagher. Impersonation. Big Gallagher fan. Oh yes, yeah. squashing. Uh, how great was that? Just just uh, people sitting in the front row covered in trash bags <laughs> as he just brings out watermelons and smashes them and then laughs at people. That's a good shtick. It's fucking great. So uh, so Tex and I were talking last night about how you know Lexi and I may have the opportunity to go to present at this national conference, and he was like, "Here's the first thing you need to know: you got to have." A prop. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, this you, is easy. You mean uh, this is hooked up through the Flexi guys? F- through, yeah. So in with them through like a co-presenting. Yeah, so it's, pos- our, it's possible we might do it. Well, there's a good chance because the guys at Flexi are deep into Power Athlete Radio. I know when I went and did my talk down there. How deep, John? Uh, like episode one type of deep. Oh. Right? I can't uh, even find episode so one. So what's crazy is when I went down there to do my presentation, they were all sitting in the audience, which was kind of neat to actually have a live studio mm-hmm. audience for a podcast. 
And huh. it, and then we got done. People like some of the guys were like, "Hey, in episode four fifteen, when you talked about this, what?" And I'm like, "Chris Farley style." Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> I was like, "This is awesome." Remember when? Remember that one time? Remember that one time? <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty good. The only problem, what they don't realize, is after you've done close to five hundred podcasts, they all just kind of melt into one. Mm-hmm. And there's really just only a couple gems that stick out, like uh, the most recent one with um, Ian Daniels. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Good one. Um, well, it's not even close to 500 podcasts. It's actually legitimately 500 podcasts that you guys have done. So I mean, how, does it does it feel like 500? What is I mean, does it has it aged you in any way? Like like in a like like fine has, like has, has the, has you asked that question like you knew the answer. <laughs> has it really drained you of you know energy? And... Uh, did you ever see the movie Knock Around Guys? No. All right. Oh so, my so God, in, in knock in knock around guys, uh, Vin Diesel. It's pretty much one of the only movies I like Vin Diesel in. Hence, why I haven't seen right. the movie. Uh, but on. in there, he he goes over and they're like in this opening bar. scene. Uh, yeah, uh, it's not the opening scene, is it? It's the opening scene. Um, well, then maybe they do like uh, they snap you there and then they give you the montage on the backside and give you a little history on it. But in it, the guy like goes in there. They go in there to pick a fight, mm-hmm. and he walks over to the guy and he's like five hundred. He's like, 500 what? 500 fights. 500 fights is how many fights I think that you would need to call yourself a legitimate tough guy. And then he goes through all That's this awesome. thing about like, basically like, you know, on your way to 500. Yeah. He's acting. You know, yeah. I mean, it's pretty good. Act. So when you just said 500 right there, I'm That's like, what you thought of? 500 podcasts. <laughs> oh, yeah. And right, he goes on to then. That's how many podcasts you need to actually call yourself which, a, a podcaster. Which actually, five hundred podcasts roughly equates to ten thousand hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you whoa. would think that we'd be way better at it by four now. Four hours of podcast. I don't have the figures in front of me, but <laughs> well, I we mean, can uh, find that out. <laughs> well, it's it's probably more because there's certain podcasts that we've never released. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I remember Callie calling me and being like, "We can't release this we one." I'm like, this. "There's, there's, I'm totally fine with You're you." You're like, "I trust you. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember it." Um. <laughs> no, I just remember being really uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah, yeah. There's a few of those, so I have those filed away under five waiting podcasts. for our political careers. <laughs> yeah, five exactly. hundred podcasts is what it takes for you to call yourself a legitimate tough guy in the podcast industry. Yeah, I mean, Joe yeah. Rogan's at what, like four million? How? I don't even know. Probably a couple Nobody thousand. Knows. I don't know. I don't. He, he's over like fifteen hundred. Is he? Yeah. I yeah, mean, but he's he's cut different streams. Now he does like MMA. So then his MMA fans only tune into that, but then those count up to one hundred and fifty plus the twelve. Yeah, I mean everybody does an MMA podcast. Kelly and I do an MMA podcast. You've never heard it? Yeah. Yeah, we don't invite you on it because you don't watch MMA. Perfect. Mixed Sounds great. Martial farts. <laughs> <laughs> what does MMA stand for again? <laughs> I. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> Texas up there playing with a bunch of young boys in their sticks. Uh, easy. Easy. Before coaching, I had to watch several videos that prepared you to look for other signs for uh, lurkers and Sanduskies out there. Really? Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. So you have to watch videos, um, like I coach think education. Wise. Yeah, and and uh, they do scenarios in which if. Uh, all sorts, not just Sanduskies, dudes that are like cursing and talking down. Mm-hmm. So it's like you must, and I, I, I firmly believe you have to step in and say something because a lot of these sure. coaches don't know what the hell they're doing to these kids. We go back to the Harrison Bernstein yeah. podcast and coaching scars, which stories that you bring up often, John, from your experience. 
Yeah. So, and I'm, I live it, I see it, and I have to intervene and remind yeah. these uh, dudes what to do. Quite, or quite, not to do. Quite possibly the greatest line I've ever heard uttered is, uh, I'm going to rip your balls off so that you can't infect the rest of the world with your pussydom. Was that your mom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doris Bovard. That is a classic. Yeah, I, I was good. six years old. I was six years old. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to go back in the pool. So she just, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but yeah. She's like, and you're my son. <laughs> yeah. Imagine what I say to people that aren't my kids. Yeah. Uh, no, but that was a, a football coach. And I really think, like, some of this stuff is, like, you're like, first of all, how dark what was going on in that guy's life? And second Seriously? of all, why yeah. would you put that on a kid? But if, and, and then we were just fucking started laughing because of the ridiculous nature of it. And you're like, holy shit. Well, on the, the, the flip side, he doesn't know what's going on in that kid's life. That then that could be the moment, the trigger. A trigger. That then just it doesn't motivate him so to be a bad motherfucker. My it, question it, is when you go through that training and you're becoming peripherally aware of these potential whatever these life suckers or just threats to the child like um, how are you supposed to spot a sandusky trench coat no pants well uh, if you don't grooming, if you can't spot one like and you don't see one does that mean you are the sandusky, <laughs> the sandusky. Of the team? you're like i don't every coaching staff every coaching cast has one yeah oh god <laughs> look to your left look to your right Wait, one of yeah. those people <laughs> No, God, uh, I mean, talk but about the and then oh, here. I ensure you, if a coach then intervened when he heard that and was like, "Dude," he's like, "Hey, I'm joking. I'm joking." No, but here we are, thirty years later, plus, and mm-hmm. you fucking remember that. Yeah, that matters. Yeah. Well, I mean, forever that name. I mean, there's oh. a, there's a Sandusky, Ohio, and you know what happens when you go to Sandusky, Ohio? Oh, uh, you buy brake pads. <laughs> what happens? It's Tommy Boy. Yeah, Tommy oh. Boy. Yeah. Yeah, you ruined that movie for everybody. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, shit, dude. I, they they took down Joe Paterno's statue, and it pretty much mm. scrubbed all of you know. I mean, well, the youth, the the weight room, the training center, that was all Sandusky complex or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was gone. I don't know what it is now. Nobody knows. Well, it's not even called Happy Valley anymore. It's more like Frown Valley. Oof, yeah. dark. Yeah. Well, Sorry, this guys. This took a dark turn. My God. Gonna have to need well, it. there are good coaches out there. It's, somebody's ruining it for Name the rest two. of us, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We could have an entire podcast basically on uh, insane things that I've heard coaches say to players. Yeah. Let's fucking Fuck, do it. I'll, I can start. <laughs> or you want to do that later? Yeah, tell me some. Okay. Uh, and I ran into this coach at one of the coaches' conference. He's now selling tackling dummies and shit. Mm-hmm. So I went up and uh, I'll name drop him, Coach Walker. All right, our sophomore year, a quarterback. It was raining, and we always go in and watch watch film. And our sophomore quarterback had fumbled the ball, and the kid was like, uh, "Like, coach, I can't, I can't grip the ball." Like, because I mean, sophomore teams get the hand me downs of the hand me downs. These are shitty footballs at a shitty team, and it's you know, whatever, uh, sophomore team, not even JV. Coach, I can't grip the ball. Can't grip the ball. I'll grip your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this story. I'll grip yeah. your ass. Yeah. Oh, that man. might be what does that even mean. mean? <laughs> yeah, what was going through his mind? He's like, all he's focuses on is like 15-year-old butts. And oh, he's what? like, I'll grip your ass. His, <laughs> like, I remember he's been waiting to say that. His, like. his first year of coaching, he won the national championship with University of Texas. So, but then... Here we are 40 years later, and he's fucking sophomore Katie Taylor football 
getting our dicks kicked in every game. And uh, he's like, ah, like, I'm, oh, I'll grip you ass. <laughs> it's great. My one of my one of my teammates is he's great impressions. All of our coaches, he dad down. No, he like he does it infinitely better. Oh my god! So every time we we get together, we uh, we just go do roll call on our old ball coaches. Uh, and yeah, I dude, I had it. I was always getting yelled at. God damn, McQuilkin, you didn't even know where the ball was. Like, I don't even know. This guy sounds like a character. Um, oh, that, that if, was Coach Walker. Been, we had Atwood. Like, if you've been coaching high school football for 40 years, <laughs> your level of insanity is so high. Oh, man. Lexi and I, we um, spent some time at uh, in South Seattle at a high school there that is, yeah, it's a struggling kind of community. And we went to one of their football practices to watch. And you had the two types of coaches. You had the one that was so loud and just chewing the kids out for everything and then you had the one calm sort of collected uh you know and it's just interesting because i'm like you go back to kind of what you were referring to earlier which is what happened in this guy's past or what's happening in his current life where he like he comes to this practice because it's like yell therapy for him that's what it seemed like and you're like these kids are like oh holy shit like why is this guy so angry um it's just very bizarre and if you it seems because they're coaching high school football. It's crazy. He, it's yeah. like it's as if he watched a ton of YouTube videos on like those motivational type thing where they're just yelling and yelling. And, oh yeah, the and, Eric Thomas. Yeah, and then just taking that to the nth degree, not knowing how to do it with finesse, you know, or when to put it in and sprinkle it in, oh, you know. I know exactly. And just only having that as your one tool to connect, and it's just a terrible tool. These it, kids are like, I'm exhausted listening. It, we can't speak down to high school football coaches because I mean they have a great opportunity yeah. and. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I think there's like an expiration for most of it. Like as long as you stay positive and you can see like the bigger picture in your terms of developing kids and you realize like, hey, I have this great opportunity to influence, you know, thousands of kids opposed from just being bittered by the system. And we used to see this with personal trainers. Everything has diminishing returns at a certain point. Yeah, like, I mean, how how many times have you gone into a gym and been like, oh, these coaches have been here way too fucking long. I need like a coach in their first six months, not the coach in like... I've been doing this for seven years. And yeah. I'm ready to shoot, you know, pull a gun in my mouth. We talk about that. I've talked to you a lot about that, and I talked to Lexi a lot about that because, you know, it, to to put myself back in the mindset of just a full time coach or a trainer or personal trainer or something like that, it's it just um, it it seems so confining, and it just would I I don't know if it would be fulfilling for me. I mean, obviously, if if it was, I'd still be doing it, but it just you know, especially when you have just your Gen Pop person, it kind of feels like great Groundhog Day, and that's just. You know, eventually you're you're not going to bring the energy, the excitement, and the potency to whoever your client is, and uh, that's when you need to kind of check yourself and say, "All right, where's the room for growth for me, so that I can continue to give?" Because um, that, that I just it can pull from you, and we had that experience before just working at sure. the gym. <clears throat> well, I think there's an expiration for everything. Yeah, and, but as long as you can stay positive, I think that you can extend it. But the minute that all of a sudden it becomes a chore, and every day you get up, I mean. Man, one of the funniest lines I've ever heard was uh, my brother's co- um, my brother's linebacker coach in college. So I was down on the field. I was in high school. My brothers uh, played college football. They're Division three, so I'm down on the field, just kind of like I don't know, just hanging out. And I hear uh, uh, the defense comes off, and they had just got their fucking asses kicked. And their linebacker coach brings their linebackers over, sitting on the bench, and he's screaming at them. 
you you guys are the nicest motherfuckers I've ever met. So nice, I'll let you date my sister. Remind me to give you her number after. <laughs> what? You guys are the nicest fucking dudes I've ever met. He doesn't I want even you to have date a my sister. Si- right? It was great. He's like, I'd let you date my sister. Come r- remind me after the game. I'm going to give you her number. Oh, my god. And uh, I was what like, a compliment. that was hilarious. Sister was a complete whore. <laughs> uh, but I just thought it was like, you guys are the nicest guys I've ever met. I'm glad to have you that's date nice. my sister. But yeah. that's a real compliment. Yeah. Um, uh, it wasn't meant as a compliment. <laughs> uh, that's, I feel like, uh, like well, that in the wasn't mi- the intention. In, in the middle of the game, when your coach tells you what a nice guy you are, because they're obviously, you know, you're oh, so nice you're... that they're getting their your mm-hmm. ass kicked, you're letting them kick your yeah, ass. Yeah. And so nice that he says, uh, I think you guys are such nice guys. Yeah, you're too, you're so soft. That I'm, yeah, gentle. you're so soft and gentle that I'm going to let you date my sister. Yeah, yeah. Remind that me to come get ult- her number. Uh, for some reason, that was over my head, but that... That is the ultimate insult. Yeah. Uh, I get it now. Yeah, it was great. But when you talk about the having an expiration date to things, you know, I, I'm I'm curious, you know, I know like in your history with the NFL and like there is an expiration date in terms of like what your body can do and also just like the travel and the mentality you have to have. And then I think about like in terms of like our career, imagine like I wonder how you guys would do in a field where like a traditional field where you go in and you have you're waiting for retirement and you're kind of locked into like a union type job that kind of thing because that's one of the things that we struggle with is for a myriad of reasons obviously retention right now is a huge issue with police work but you know i think about like how do we how do we extend that expiration date and a lot of it has to do with just general health and mental health and that kind of thing to the, so that you don't get to the point where you're like i just can't fucking do this anymore but I think it's the the problem is I think it's natural for people to evolve beyond whatever their current thing is. Sure. So I think it's so you you have to have growth. Exactly. Um, You have to look for growth though in in a career like police work. Like you if you're you can't just do patrol. I mean you could, but you you know you have to have something to look forward to to grow into a new maybe position or new responsibility. So I mean yeah, I'm just curious like what your thoughts would be for that traditional person who's like for imagine firefighting for thirty years. Those guys, I mean, they there's, love like lots of chili cook-offs. There's not a lot of diversity in that job, though. Like you, you're the well, hose guy. You're the guy with the wheel, yeah. know, ladder person. Yeah, but then, <laughs> but then they grow up into be, you know, like um, I know one of the guys I went to high school with played football. He, uh, you know, got out of college, got into the you know fire academy, and he's been. I think he's a, he's a, a chief now. So those guys, once they kind of get into that position, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it affords them. Uh, but I feel like to be able kinda, to do more stuff. it's still kind of Groundhog Day. I mean, you, obviously you have interesting calls and things like that. But like that's, I mean, that's the same uniform, same job for like thirty years. It's like how do you just extenuate that longevity? And yeah, it's tough. I don't know. Become the Calendar guy, photo shoots, get Ooh, jacked. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, or maybe they just like helping people. I mean, firemen. Like yeah, nobody's mad about nobody's <laughs> mad at a fireman. Nobody's mad. At nobody's the talking about defunding the fire department. No, oh, they're not. Everybody's fucked. They should. <laughs> Have you seen their weight rooms? My God, they don't, they don't need all that equipment. Well, no, then find a side hustle, <laughs> find a creative outlet. Exactly. I think that's having the. That's a good point. Having balance outside of whatever you do, and even for anybody, like even if you're not in like a traditional kind of. 30 year job like what's the expiration on being a cop like i mean can can you legitimately go in and be a cop for 30 years i mean i yeah. know people oh, yeah. do it but like like what's the point that you see where it's kind of the boiling point where people just start going to the dark side well actually around five years is the time where people make a decision whether they're going to leave the line of work or they're going to uh, transfer departments that's around the threshold for that kind of thing 
when you get to be closer to 10 years, you've already accrued, um, you know, if your department has sort of like a seniority point system or, you know, you're, you have like your retirement sort of squared away. Or for us, it's like you have invested in deferred comp and all this stuff. So there's a lot more to lose in terms of like, you know, as you approach that 10 year mark, but five years is that is right around that time where if you're going to make a change, that's where most people see it. Um, unfortunately though, a lot of people that are, were, uh, hired at our department maybe a year ago, just before all this happened. Um, a lot of those people took that opportunity, that very first window saying like, Hey, I may have just graduated the Academy, but I don't want to work in this department in the city. And they just bounced. So a lot of new people, new hires, just, it was like, can they take that passing academy and go work in yeah once you've gone to um what is yeah, it a, a, a post rated academy you can kind of do there's get state, hired yeah there's states that that allow like that lateral to occur and um you can go anywhere in washington that's for sure but th there are some states though that california for instance requires you to go through their academy um all over again and it's so they have a you know and they have their own system you got to work at the jails and all that yeah. stuff so well uh I, th I believe to be a sheriff the sheriffs start in the jails in california Oh, maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, um, all the sheriffs start in the jails. That's why uh, when we were kids, there was obviously um, in our town there was you know we obviously had, had uh, city police, but then there was also mm -hmm. the sheriffs were always around, and the sheriffs were always fucking assholes. <laughs> and and the reason being was that they start in the jails. Well, so they had by feces flung at them for like whatever well, year, two years. They're a lot meaner. <laughs> I just remember the sheriffs just always were fucking assholes, and um, rightly so because it's a tougher job. I don't know if rightly so is the right word it's like it's just and also like the culture now is just it you just it demands the utmost customer service you know and so <laughs> at, at what point do they start having to run for their position because i see signs uh, all over town like oh for sheriff. i don't know if it's sheriff yeah that's, yeah that's for sheriff those are elected positions so that yeah so sheriff is kind of like it can be a generic term for like sheriff's department like that um eight that type of agency but then there's also the sheriff position like i'm the sheriff of this town like that guy well it, so aren't, you run aren't for the sheriff's position. usually the county like the county sheriff, like, uh, I think uh, so, cities yeah. and towns usually have police, mm -hmm. and then the counties have sheriffs. Yeah. So. Yeah. So for us, it would be King County Sheriff's yep. Department. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like Lake Travis Sheriff. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Hayes County Sheriff. And they kind of and they kind of go everywhere. So. Yeah. Then they yeah they can kind of patrol everywhere. Man, that's a lot of ground to cover. It's a lot of ground. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of crime. I don't well, know about out here, but cheeky. It, it teenager was, shenanigans. Well, it, it it was set up because um, you know obviously uh, municipalities and small cities were you know like in this area and you know hey this is what our size is but then all the, who patrols this other area you know and that's where they're like oh, okay these are the county you know so it's kind of a uh, just a bigger bigger uh, area to cover. Like I said, yeah, a lot of crime. Uh, within the, jumping back to the fitness industry and we Talk to me. brought to light in the trainers course, then that's, that's meant for the individual just getting into the industry. So they avoid burnout yeah, that's or right. to provide perspective for that five year personal training mark. Mm -hmm. Man, you think it's pretty, pretty similar for personal trainers and for coaches, like a five year mark uh, was for me. I can tell you that it was five years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that was the point where I was like, and also like just people who even remotely want you to create programs and that kind of thing for them. It's like, at least I know that we, when we were doing that, 
you put so much effort and energy and when we, you know, you, you really do like, you try to make it as individualized as possible. You want to cater to that person's need, their limitations, whatever. And it is so draining to know that when you are in touch with that person, at least this is something that hurt my longevity. They're like, oh yeah, sorry about that. I missed last week. You're like, what do you mean you missed last week? It took me three days to come up with a, a comprehensive, you know, four week program. Plan of attack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the, this is, speaks exactly to what I was getting to that there are, there are coach mistakes. So if you're aware of these, you can avoid getting into that. The pitfalls. And, oh, it's getting into that. The first one was making workouts too complex, confusing, or yeah. taking away the confidence of an individual. Like we talked yes. to, it discour- it's discouraging for them to experience it. Yeah, uh-huh. there's yeah. so much truth to that because what you do when you create a, when you create a program is you want to highlight your own expertise, but that's not the focus. Like you got to put your ego aside. It's th- that person's not going to look at your program and say, "Wow, Callie really put a lot of time and effort into this. Like she knows what she's talking about." They're not yeah, going to say that. And then the same, adherence is the key. You the know? same side is, oh man, this workout was easy. They can do this. Right. What? They're, you're comparing your abilities to no. Yeah. Uh, next one is is not interested. So you give your passionate speech of this is the the toes forward squat yada, and the person, mm-hmm. I don't care. Like yeah. So you're trying to push your interest and in what you love about fitness yeah. onto them, and then you're mad at them or upset or frustrated because they don't share right that passion. The same passion. You, oh, we see that very often. Such a I, true... I experienced this as well. Um, yeah. So That's so true. It's like, it's, it's just putting too, it's almost like, you know, you're just, you're investing too much of your emotion into it and it needs to be just kind of a, a tr- can I say transaction? No, I shouldn't, but it should be, you know, it should be like you said, like you should take the emotion out of it and understand that really, especially when you're working with someone at a certain level, you don't need to make things super complex just to highlight your abilities or you don't need to go through a paragraph description for people who are super basic level, like it's just not, it's not important, you know, to talk about toes forward or, you know, why the what, stretch shortening yeah, exactly. cycle, just do it. Huh? Yeah. Do what now? Yeah. What, what's the well, exercise again? Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, mean, I think people like to create complexity because it gives them like the allure of, uh, expertise, you know? So like with a lot of this stuff, I mean, um, you know, like, especially when you start putting out programming, uh, there's like enough information to give them buy-in, but too much creates paralysis. Mm-hmm. So it's something That's when I you. write like, uh, you know, the descriptions in the training programs and start putting this stuff together, you almost have to like balance a little humor, uh, just enough information to kind of get people headed in the right direction, just enough um, direction to like get them to execute, but not so much that it like overcomplicates. That's it. And that is a great point. Yeah. We, and this is our, our third mistake. You make it overwhelming. Yeah. So not only like we're speaking to the interest before, but now it's just too daunting. And then uh, I can't do this. They're like, I got to something else. If it's too complicated or can't be executed easy, people won't do it. Yeah. We want the, and we speak to this in the course. We want the hardest part of their day, getting the courage to get in the car and show up. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to be stressed in that 60, 45, 90, however long it is. That's the biggest hurdle. And it's one thing that I found not only in just programming for people in general, but also like when I started programming for the department and putting stuff out there, you want to, like I said, you want to kind of highlight what you can do for them. You also want to distinguish, say, hey, like we're doing something different. And so you have a tendency, I had a tendency to make things a little too complex for just your average 
person that's trying to train because you want to be like, hey, we're not this generic program, this generic app that you've been using or whatever. So yeah, that's a mistake. And like I found through what I'm doing is just like adherence comes through kind of that simplicity. And then also having kind of like you said, like a tone, a genuine tone about it because the program doesn't necessarily have to be super unique, the movements, all that stuff. Because it'll be effective, but I mean, you if know, there's only seven primal movement patterns. Exactly, and but but if your tone is unique and they like they like how it's being delivered, the communication style, that's going to be the thing what, that they're like, oh, that's what different. What type of adherence are you getting in these programs? So we have well, in terms of the the app that we're using now, we have 116 people that uh, we released it about two weeks ago. 116 people signed up to use it. And on uh, any given day, there's about 10, 20 people who actually do the workouts. Mm -hmm. So that's not great, but it's not terrible also. You consider where we might be in six months from now. And even if we're at like, you know, 30% of the people that signed up, that's still way more adherence. And then, so, you know, we're trying to maintain some optimism about it. Of course, I would love all 116 people to be like logging every day, but you know, it's baby steps. So sure. And you touched on our, our final mistake that we, we speak to to the course, and that's like you don't want to go over there to their training and mm -hmm. start talking negatively about that, or you want you don't you want need to avoid that program, or this is where this person got wrong. So you're speaking to a potential client, and you're just negative town for other people's products and why you're better than them. Yeah, and that's you true. Know it huge mistake that people can get into because we I mean it's certainly one of those cognitive biases which we feel we're better and then you know they're negative so I would encourage fitness professionals to avoid that but using an authentic voice mm -hmm. of this is what you're going to get out of this right or what are you aiming to get okay here's how I can empower you your performance right and fitness they, health I, strength all the good stuff for us too and for as far as like the the adherence and people who are actually doing it one of the things too is like making myself and the, the other people that assist with it extremely accessible in terms of like asking questions so now that's very encouraging i'd rather have like people emailing questions or messaging me questions on the app and stuff because i mean it it just goes to show you that somebody's using it somebody wants to learn somebody's using the expertise and slowly every day there's more and more people engaging and asking questions and they're all the basic things that you can imagine but um but it it's it is extremely encouraging because they didn't even have that before they didn't even have that outlet so i i, I think even just for illusion reasons like at least shows that the department is investing in their physical well-being and aiming to change the culture exactly creating a culture of movement fitness strength wellness wellness yeah 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 that's it because i think that you know let's not let's not you know beat around the bush if they want to hold on to officers they have to appeal to that like that's the main thing that's it's all about the bottom line sure as you know may approaches and as the end of the chauvin trial comes to an end you know we we just can't afford to lose anybody else and with how's that going the, uh, well, I mean, um, you know, obviously the Chauvin trials uh, going on. We just had that shooting up in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, the twenty-year-old kid. Um, mm -hmm. we, we talked a little bit about it last night, but yep. um, it feels like uh, everything that happens around the country somehow the greatest reaction happens in Seattle. And yeah. Portland. Yeah, it's just interesting because I think just historically Seattle has been, uh, especially during like the. Um, was it the Occupy Times yeah, or yep. the WTO? WTO. Um, you know, it's historically just been an extremely out outspoken city, and people pride themselves on 
uh, being like anarchist against the grain type. I think there's a huge contingency where that is kind of the legacy of the city. So they're very proud to do that. And it's just ironic though, because we have one of the most progressive police departments with the highest accountability, you know, under supervision of the DOJ. So it's like, you know, it's just, it's just an interesting environment, but in terms of like all of the, the, the police involved shootings that have occurred, um, yeah, like Lexi, who's still on the street, she was called in from home to go and respond to a protest that was being organized as a result of the uh, most recent shooting and um, where the officer mistakenly deployed her gun instead of her taser. And so, um, or at least that's what they're, she's arguing. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's this complete knee jerk all the time. And I think just the city's like, we're plugging holes with the officers that we can. And, um, and that's, you know, that's just it. They're just trying to stay afloat pretty much. Um, but yeah. I think, you think most police departments are in a similar situation with, uh, you know, this kind of move to defund the police department? No, I actually think that most police departments are not. Um, because if you look at how many police departments exist, that most of police departments are, um, I, I'm not sure of the exact number, but they're under a hundred officers. They're like around 50 officers. So if, if you look at by department, maybe not by officer per capita, but by department, I think most departments are very supported by their communities. If you look at populous cities though, yes, that's where you're getting people that are, um, going through the defund. Of course you have a, you know, you have a high density of people and political activity and that kind of thing, as opposed to like your bohunk town in the middle of wherever. But, um, yeah. Nice word. I haven't heard anybody use the word bohunk <laughs> since, uh, twice a day. I got to use it. <laughs> uh, I, this is a bohunk uh, town. My <laughs> mom uses the word bohunk. Uh, <laughs> and I just thought it was a Canadian term. <laughs> well, I'm bringing it down. It's in the Pacific Northwest uh, yeah, right now, it must so be. it's trickling down. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's just the the kind of the misnomer, the kind of the myth about everything is that most police departments, well, most departments, that's actually not true. There's hundreds and hundreds of departments who are doing just fine, and but they're smaller departments. Sure. So um, so yeah, I mean, we definitely have like people are still actively very very upset with just status quo of police work and it's funny because Lexi showed me a meme just the other day in response to this whole the most recent shooting um <clears throat> the one that I uh kind of spoke of and it's just a meme of like a guy like I don't know if he's on the sideline it's I guess it's a popular meme but he's on like the sideline of a basketball game or something it's just like shaking his head and it's like this is every police officer in response to like this mistake you know that this woman like the poor decision making and it's like you're just fucking making it so hard for us to yeah. just do a good job, to just do our job. Everybody fucking hates us, you know? And it's like, just these incidents are just, oh, they're... Yeah, but think about how many interactions there are with police officers oh, a day. So I mean, many. So, so we got a country so of... So many. Um, so think about we have a country of 330 million people. Mm -hmm. Think about how many people are involved in some form of I interaction with law enforcement, whether it be like speeding ticket... Uh, you know, uh, DV calls or something to the house or domestic, you know, uh, um, disturbances or uh, I don't know, like fucking road violations or people get pulled over. I mean, like how many interactions a, a day happen yeah. in this country? It's got to be in the thousands. Yeah. You know, if not more, you know, like yeah. the tens of thousands. In a, in and, our, and on a busy day in our department, you know, your average officer will have can have up to you know, maybe, maybe 15 calls in a day, which that's a lot of interactions with people. Yeah. If you think about like a nine, 10 hour shift. And, uh, most of those end 
you know, uh, uh, without the without loss of life. Without yeah, without a hitch. hitch. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, and the situation, which I think nobody's talking about, is um, the officer that mistakenly went for her taser and her pulled gun. her gun, mm-hmm. uh, you know, had been off the street for a long time. I mean, has 20 plus years. 26 in, years. Yeah, and she was, was an FTO, which is a field training officer. So she had had experience training uh, newer officers. Um, and I don't know a ton about her background other than kind of what we've discussed. And, but yeah, I mean, um, if that is her case, uh, that they had to basically bring her back on the street due to staffing issues and, and in response to, um, major either protests. Bunch of cats yeah. Or or what, yeah, exactly. So that's very parallel to what, um, our department is experiencing because, uh, when we had an exodus of a lot of officers, how, uh, how many officers did you guys lose? Um, I, I actually talked to someone from HR and they said they could give me the exact number, but it's, I mean, it's well over 150 and just a, yeah. How many total though? Like out of 150 out of, out of uh, 200. Oh God! <laughs> well, it's just Lexi and I on the street. Yeah, it's just, we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you haven't seen uh, who's watching. Uh, who's uh, watching the streets uh, now? Cagney and Lacey just cruising around with. <laughs> oh my God! You know, uh, squad cars just playing bumper cars the whole way. Uh, I think there. I think there is about. I want to say there's about maybe three, four hundred on patrol. Okay, but so that's, we're we're the we have the lowest ratio officer per capita in the country right how now. How many people are in uh, Seattle? I don't know. Text, Google it. I can't remember, but I know I'll that we're, back to you in five. we're ranked it, like the, the lowest in terms of... There's got to be three million people at least in Seattle. Yeah, I want to say it's close to three. Um, but yeah, so it's... Uh, so my point is that they the department had to call back a bunch of detectives and things like that who were off the street for a while doing their office job and get them back onto patrol. And you're like looking at me. Go ahead. 3.5 million. 3.5. So that's a lot of people. And so when, when they have these people come back on the street, you have also this perfect storm of COVID going on. So there's no in-person training able to, yeah. to occur. So, you know, you, you, those people are all qualified. Everyone has to qualify their handgun, but there's, they haven't undergone physical. I thought they uh, took guns from you guys and just gave you purple dildos. I can't, I can't speak to that, John. <laughs> Um, because uh, one of my favorites is there's, there was actually a video of the of uh, protesters basically hitting the cops. With, oh, that's uh, that's true. Like with these like big dil- oh, dildos, night, night sticks. Dude, I haven't laughed so hard. Like, can you imagine if you're a cop and you're like, I just got smacked in the face with a huge purple dildo. So it is funny to watch, but I can tell you in working in my capacity in the wellness unit that like this that kind of stuff after being on the line for days on end, hours and hours, like. That shit was like insult to injury. It's obviously funny, but it's also like they are not able to respond. And it's imagine if that was you. Like you're not uh, able to respond. Yeah, no. And Some's, you have to go home day after day. And, and just deal getting with smashed with a purple dildo. Exactly. Yeah, no, and it's it's so it's just one of those things where, you know, you're like, just give me one. Her. Just give me one. Like if, a rubber ear to the bullet. Or a rubber bullet to the ear. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's just an insult to injury. It's like humiliating it's like you know i i don't know if i've told you but like some of the experiences i've had on the protest line have been absolutely humiliating i had a person with a bullhorn um say my name because it's on my uniform and then um it just so happened that when i was at this particular protest there was a bunch of brass like high-ranking people behind me and so they said my name and some of the people around me that I was uh, the whore of the department and that I had sex with all these people. And they're talking about like people that are my boss and my boss's boss, calling them out by name and saying like, 
you know, see Hensman is f this person and this person and all that stuff. And she, they even said like, like she has sex with her own kids and her own family, like just the most awful stuff. And you're like, this person's trying to get a rise out of me. Yeah, sure. And you know, like it's just the most, it's, it's yeah. just, it's it for them. I'm almost like, are you hearing yourself? Like this is uh, they, the lowest form of life. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. No, mm-hmm. I mean uh, them and um, they're, they're probably the same people that comment on YouTube videos. <laughs> the, so yeah, I, the I, lowest I, form of life. Yeah. The lowest form of life is people that comment on YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah. It, it probably is. It's, it's amazing they were able to uh, pull away from their, well, their mom's their basement. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're like in, in their mom's basement all riled up being like, oh, hold on, let me get my purple dildo on my fucking megaphone. Yeah, yeah, pretty sad stuff. They're um, finally able to use them. Ah, <laughs> oh, dude. I... Just opened up the case. Well, like... The protest kit. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, um, I wonder if the protest... Breaking like, case of emergency. In a well, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> well, like, um, I, I, I wonder if the protesters, and this is something that was blowing my mind in Portland, like, What's their day job? <laughs> like, I mean, they had like, I mean, they're they're assaulting that federal, federal building for like seventy days, yeah, with fireworks, and they're doing all this crazy stuff, and like, it's the protesters, and they're like, oh, it's the same people keep coming back. I'm like, what are those guys doing for their day work? Well, that's that's just it. Is that like I said, perfect storm of like a lot of people losing their jobs and things like that. Service industry, and I, I'm of course generalizing, but you can you can definitely see and make the argument for folks with like that type of job where businesses were closing or they had to let people go. Um, they just had an opportune time to let some of the hate in their heart out, you know? And, uh, it's just, you know, I understand if people want to peacefully protest and you can for any reason that you want, put free speech. Um, yeah. but it's, it's just some of the things that are being said and done. And obviously the violence and property destruction is, is completely uncalled for. And it's, um, you know, it just, to me, it speaks volumes of the type of character that you have to, ha- or the lack of character to do something like wave a dildo in an officer's face for 10 hours. It's like, uh, yeah. what, what is, I'm, I'm wondering for so where do you buy those? What does I mean, that do? How, what is that doing for black lives? I'll Google you know? that for you, John. It's like ridiculous to me. It's like, what is, what exactly is, how is that progressing your, you know, vision um, I'm all for progressive police work. That's great. Like, let, let's do it. I'm, I'm all about growing, but, um, you know, have a, have a tactic, have a goal and work towards that goal. Allow us to work with you. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's a definitely a frustrating environment and obviously more frustrating for like Lexi and stuff. And my heart goes out to everybody who's still on the line right now. That leads me into this question I wanted to pose. Like how, how is the wellness aim in the whole department helping people with morale like how are you yeah so, keeping morale up when it's 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 relentless out there so one i mean one of the first things is um there just hasn't been a time where officers really felt like pe- they were being listened to and we go and we ask them like in roll calls like how do you how do you think that like the department has done as a whole in taking care of you during this hard time and everyone's like they just, it's just been shitty so the first thing I know, it's, it sounds so silly, but make sure all their basic needs are met. If they have like, if they have stuff that they need to get at their precinct, if they, if, if on the line, they're not getting their breaks frequently, we, all this needs to be conveyed. Um, so that that is the minimum. How we do can you guys do. do breaks? Like, like if you guys are in like a protest, um, and you guys are, you know, obviously doing crowd control or whatnot, like the, you know, are you there for like 30 minutes an hour and then somebody comes and taps it's, you on the shoulder and takes your, takes it, your spot. It's usually much, much longer than that. Um, but the people who are on the front, it, there might be a little more turnover, but that doesn't, you're, you're still in a unit that's like standing by. You're still right there. I mean, you can't leave that kind of thing typically. Um, 
And then oftentimes there'll be, I mean, a lot of times there's just officers who as individuals, they get a hand on the shoulder, like you need to get off because you can see them getting built up or they start engaging with someone. And so I think that that is a really cool team aspect where you see someone reaching about the threshold that they can reach and you're like, ah, let's not, let's not engage. So you just kind of remove that person and replace them. When, um, like what's the line that has to get crossed for it to go from like, all right, these guys are protesting and they're fucking assholes and they're acting a certain way. Like, um, I have to take this to where like, holy shit, we're fucking going to fucking fight these dudes. I mean, is there like a line? We pull that line back and we pull that line back and we pull that line back and they just meet us there. And that's, I think so. And Lexi would be able to speak to that too, is like, the the way Seattle has been operating under the you know s- sort of the the vision of the mayor is that we are going to pull our line back withstand 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 until a precinct is taken over for instance the east precinct which was when our yeah. facing so um so there has been a huge amount of tolerance in order to what her vision is like allow people free speech and that kind of thing and now you know, now the, so the public got essentially what they wanted in terms of that. They got to, you know, make this big statement. And now, um, the, the pre, that precinct is fortified with large blocks. I don't yeah. know, th- yeah, thousands of pounds, that kind of thing. And now the community is upset because it's an eyesore and it doesn't feel welcoming. Oh. In, in, um, in Belfast, yeah. Belfast, I, the, oh, yeah. like I like uh, I mean, at one point they were throwing batteries at officers. Oh yeah, and I'm and, and I'm thinking like, all right, if you're throwing a battery at my face, like then, I mean, there that's were an assault. Ex- ex- explosives thrown. Yeah. There oh, were yeah. um yeah, they were shooting like I mean they they had uh, um uh, umbrellas up and then they were like moving yeah. the umbrellas and then like shooting fireworks and putting them back to yeah, block. Yeah, they keep they that's their thing is um you know they they bring umbrellas and that kind of thing and it's. You know, it's, it's, it's a contingency of people that are, um, they're clearly distracting from the issue. They're, they're, they're the um, Antifa, yeah. really. And so they're not even, it's not even the Black Lives Matter movement. These are people who are well, very that's, destructive. Well, that's usually what happens. You have like the... Hijacking you, the... Well, it's mm-hmm. uh, these, you know, Marxist anarchists. What they'll do is they look for some social movement to attach on the back. Like, exactly. a, like a parasite. Opportunist. And that's what allows them to ride in and give them opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, yeah. um, every, so you know, Marxist kind of group like that that's what they wait for they wait for some social thing to to write on the back of yeah it, well yeah i know and we've talked about this you know i know you one of your favorite quotes is you know in the absence of leadership true. these like you know these charlatans will appear yeah. or whatever in the absence of true leadership uh false prophets. false prophets appear yeah and it's it it is one of those things where people latch on to what appears to be a very powerful and strong thing and it's like you know, these people are jabronis and they don't have a vision. They're not having conversation about how to improve X, Y, and Z. They're just purely destructive. So, Well, um, the other thing too is um, at which point, and we discussed this last night, like at which point do we say that the, uh, you know, like the social contract where, uh, you know, we live in this country, we pay taxes, there's a social contract of like, hey, if I do what at least the way I look at it, like if uh, if I'm involved with something with law enforcement, um, my job is to, you know, like survive the incident. We've talked about that. Yeah. So I'm always amazed that people get into these situations and it's like, oh, the guy's got an arrest warrant. He's got no license. The car's expired. Like normal people, like I'm not going out and driving around if I don't have a license. If my car's expired, I'm not driving that car. If I have yeah. an arrest warrant, I'm probably not out speeding. Yeah. And so at which point do we make 
the individuals willing participants in this thing. And, I mean, and, when they're criminals, when they're actively breaking the crime, they are they have decided that they're going to engage in possible law enforcement action. I mean, you've you've you you shake the hand of the law and you're like, all right, it's, let's do this, you yeah. know, and you gamble, you know, that kind of thing. But the thing is, I think like you know, kind of like Lexi was talking about for dinner is, you know, when when she stops the vehicle, like she did, very similar to the incident that happened um, most recently. Uh, with the other female officer, but those, you know, she was able to make an arrest on a guy who had a warrant and he had, you know, like, I don't even know, expired tabs and all this stuff. He did, he was driving without a license and it was a compliant interaction. He, you know, it was, well, didn't he know he's like, I'm going to jail. And she she says, well, why do you say that? He's like, I don't have a license. And she was like, well, let's, you know, we'll see what we can do. She's just, you know, she runs. This is Seattle. You don't really need a license. It's it's encouraged, (laughs) but it's not mandatory. So yeah, so she runs his name, and of course he has a, a DOC warrant. Yeah. Um, and so and so yeah, it kind of goes off without a hitch. But you know, it's funny. I was talking to her about that, and it's it all of it is for the most part, it's um it's highly dependent on what that person decides. It's a, a lot of the balls in their court, right? So if they say, "I understand, I'm going to jail because I broke the law," then they are choosing the rules of that game. And like, if they're like well, I'm just going to try to get back in my car or I'm going to try to run or whatever. Uh, then they change. The, man, things this, evolve, you know. This is a hard thing for me. Um, growing up, and uh, this is what I've always assumed, if you run from the police and they catch you, you're going to catch a beat. Well, that's, it like, doesn't work like that no, now. No, I know it yeah. didn't. But like, uh, if you get pulled over, like if you make the decision to run, just know that like whatever happens, you either get away or something bad's going to happen. Well, so like you have to weigh and be like, okay, uh, if like me going to, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously his license was suspended, um, you know, warrant for his arrest. I mean, for a gun violation. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there was just a whole bunch of stuff. And then it's like, you know, well, he was scared of the police. I'd be fucking scared of the police, too, if, if I was driving around I'm, and that was my fucking record. Nobody wants to get pulled over. No. But uh, what's amazing, though, is uh, um, think about how many people have those similar kind of backgrounds going on and are driving around that don't get pulled over. Yeah, I know. It's it, it. I mean, that happens. And so that's why I'm saying they just kind of roll the dice because it's, you know, I mean, if they knew our staffing, they'd probably be like, oh, yeah, there's no chance. But um, it's funny that you say kind of like getting run down, catch a beat. Well, that doesn't occur anymore. But one of the things that Tex and I were talking about recently and something that I have uh, brought up to our training department and kind of talked about is a foot pursuit never ends like in not tangled up mess. Like yeah. it never ends where the person's like, all right, like hand in the rib, like you got me. The like, fastest kid alive. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It's just beer. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't happen like that. It usually happens where in like a pile. And um, so it's one one of the things that we you and I were kind of talking about. And um, like I said, is there there has to be some training too about how, you know, what do you do when you catch up to the person? Because you, if you're fast enough, you absolutely will. And we we talked about because I know you're coming up with some kind of sprinting type stuff for LEO and that kind of thing. And yes. it's something you have to keep in mind is it's not just going out and running. You have to be running and also making like a decision of, all right, well, there's like a grate in the sidewalk there and I don't want to like wrap that person up well, there. That sounds painful. Uh, the other one, and um, I, I really think it's just a long lost skill of how to effectively clear a fence with one jump. <laughs> so, I mean, we were pretty good. in Broad ger- jump. Dude, we were pretty good about being able to like hit the fence and then be able to vault over to be able to get a through fences to be able to run from people. That's not happening. And me. so uh, like 
I just wonder if those skills are not as developed as they used to be. Nah. So, I mean, when, when you take off running, you're going through backyards, you got to hurdle fences, you got to do that. I mean, your agility goes through the roof. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I've never hopped. I've never, I mean, I've gone you, over fences, I've never, never hopped a fence. You've never uh, been in a situation where you've seen a dude just like rocket over the fence and you're like, holy shit, how did that dude get over that fence like that? Uh, yeah, I actually, I mean, I've, I, I have seen people and I've also seen people just try to clear a fence and we've pulled them down from the fence. Um, but it's not like as athletic as I need to be, you're also anticipating that this person you're chasing who is extremely athletic. And it's like, oftentimes they get to the fence and they're kind of, they're kind of like, Oh fuck, like too, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure it happens. It just has not happened in my very short career where I felt like had to quickly jump a fence. And usually, you know, I would imagine if I was in that situation, it was just no way it was going to happen. I would just say his location. Someone would pick him up, you know, um, we have enough people to do that typically. So, um, Anyway, we don't have to talk only about police. Work. No, I, I think it's fascinating. Um, I think it's really fascinating, like when you enter into this thing, and it's like I think I, I think if we did a better job of explaining, uh, like the process, like hey, um, you know, when the lights go on, you know, you're being detained, mm-hmm. you know, so that the officer can, have, you know, and what's the job of the officer? Hey, I'm here to investigate crimes. I'm here to, you know, potentially. Um, you know, implement the law in, in an interesting way, and uh, I think like people don't necessarily understand like the function of it. Yeah, maybe not anymore. <laughs> Do are there any initiatives in your in in your city for developing relationships like at a young age, a healthy relationship with law enforcement at a yeah. young age? And in, that's the thing is they've uh, been in existence for a long time prior to all this stuff. We well, have yeah, Houston, we had great or in dare. Uh huh. Yeah. So great yeah, gang there. resistance education and training. Mm-hmm. So then police would come in and the whole objective of my thought was, yeah, this is a police officer. He's well, a good person. They're a good yeah, person. Yeah, I mean, like, I I don't think anybody goes out, like, nobody goes out, like, I'm sure as you're, you know, buckling up your, you know, uh, you know, your uniform and putting your gun belt on and doing all your stuff that you're thinking, man, I hope I go out and I get into an officer-related shooting today. Nah, I, nobody nah. fucking wants that. No. It, it's kind of like um, uh, we were down hanging out with the guys from Black Rifle Coffee after, yesterday at this uh, adaptive um, bow hunting deal. Shoot. yeah. And uh, I was talking with, um, with uh, you know, the, the guys at Black Rifle about some incidents. And it's pretty amazing, like, the situations people put themselves into without thinking, like, what's the worst possible outcome I can get into this mm-hmm. today? I mean, like, that kid didn't get in the car and... I mean, did he get in the car as twenty year old kid and think, Man, I got a gun violation, I got a suspended license, this you know, like goes through the laundry list and thinks, Man, if I put the key in the car and I go out and drive today, there's a chance I get pulled over and this interaction isn't gonna go positive. Yeah, it breaks your heart. It, the whole thing is just unfortunate, you know. I mean, on both ends of it, like there's just so many variables and like I just think I mean, me personally, my personal opinion, this is like such a freak accident and also just a myriad of I mean, she had 26 years on and ah it's it's a huge bummer and i'm sure she feels extremely extremely remorseful it's gonna follow her for the rest of her life yeah so as as it should you know know, and um i mean but it just goes back that uh you know defunding the police is probably not the best thing how about like funding better training for the police well and that might that might be the reaction hopefully that's the rational reaction of like hey let's really dive into because they're going to i'm sure if she goes when she goes through a criminal trial they're going to dive into you know, what steps, steps the department took to set her up for success on getting back on the street. And if it's anything like Seattle, you know, the, a lot of the onus is just on you to be training and be vigilant in your own 
process of maintaining your skills. Do you, do you remember um, a couple months ago when we had this big freeze here in Austin? Yes. So uh, the reason the freeze happened was, um, you know, part of the power grid here in Texas is supported by wind. Mm-hmm. And all these like wind stations and energy and batteries and the whole deal. Um, so with COVID, they stopped doing inspections. And they really hadn't prepared and the inspections hadn't happened. And they thought, well, we've never had any of these problems. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, a storm that hasn't hit in like 150 years yeah, comes. Fluke. Yeah, And so all, they, they, we got all this rain and then, the, ro- and then the, the temperature dropped and everything froze and all the turbines froze. And, mm-hmm. and uh, all the uh, preparations that they were supposed to have in place... So that if something catastrophic that never happens happens, like here's how they do it. And that was uh, the kind of the end game. So it's like if you, you know, they had all these things in place, but they hadn't prepared. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, they'd only been doing like zoom in visual inspections. And they'd only done like 10% of all the facilities. Yeah, we opened the the margin of error up way up. Yeah, And it's like when we start getting into a situation where, um, oh, that'll never happen. It usually fucking happens. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, that's never a good approach, especially to to a high stakes job like police work. Well, yeah. So like um, I I wonder if the perception of like training, like, you know, because I mean, think about like you get lulled into kind of a false sense. Like you go out and you have some interactions and what and everything's positive and then all of a sudden one goes fucking south. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, uh, and th- this is what we did in football. Like I didn't prepare for uh, the every play. I I prepared for like the one move that was going to make me fucking into a highlight reel. Yeah, you know, the where most the dude throws you. yeah. And I'm like all of a sudden when that move gets thrown at you and you're like, holy shit, dude, like this was the one I prepared for. Right. Because this is the one that's going to end me up on highlight, uh, right, exactly. you know, ESPN. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's very similar. And you're kind of going back to what you're saying. Like, I don't, I'm sure you don't put your belt on thinking like you're, I want to get into a shooting today. That's true. I'd never say that, but I do have, I mean, I'm very like, kind of ritualistic, but like when I do put my boots on, um, when I was, especially when I was on the street and stuff that you, I think to myself, all right, I'm putting these boots on. This could be the day that I get into shooting. And it was just like every shift because I never wanted to be surprised if it happened. I wanted to mentally think, all right. Today's a day I could get into a shooting and like just put the boots on, do what you can do. And it, I don't know, it's just like a mental thing, like mentally transition into like a more vigilant type of state. And I know it sounds really corny, but it, it's, it was an important part of me to kind of not be caught off guard and remind myself that there are bad people out there. Cause you can come off, come back from a weekend of just like hanging out with your friends and going back to like kind of a civilian mindset, but you know, kind of put the boots on like, all right there are people that just hate your guts who want to come up to your window and take you out like that kind of stuff. So just, yeah. you know, so, so, so that I can at least say like, well, I try, I tried to be as prepared as possible and as prepared for my, you know, co- my fellow officers as I can. Um, yeah, Cause you, you just, you don't want to be that person. Oh, I never thought it was going to happen to me. Well, I always thought it was going to happen to me. Yeah. That's you know? the false sense of security people yeah. get lulled into. You don't want it, but you always expect it. And I, I actually learned kind of that mindset when I was doing some role playing for our SWAT team and a guy just, and uh, I think I was hiding in a closet of some like abandoned building that we were doing some training and, um, you know, he was completely calm when he opened the door. Uh, and I had hid in a different place in this place many times and, he was super calm and we kind of talked about it afterwards and he was like, that's the one thing you got to understand is we expect that every door we open is going to be, there's going to be somebody in it. You know, we just expect that. And then when there's not someone in there, that's in our mind, that's like the exception to the rule. We expect that every door has a person behind it. And so I think it's kind of taking that mentality is like, is, 
it, it helps you make better decisions. You're not like, oh shit, you know? So um, I think that that's a really cool part of their training and it's not something I think that's commonly practiced. So. And your training has changed. It has trained immensely. Yeah, it, in my person, in my own personal training, I mean, I, I try to now follow what's being provided to us through um, this LEO training um, as solidarity with the department, that kind of thing. And it's it's very similar to you know uh, everything that we teach at Power Athlete. Um, but you know, I would say that um, it's a grindstone life. You know. You're like, uh, I got you. Like people are like, hey, can you help us? You're like, don't worry. I, I know some people that know some people that have done some stuff with some people that have done some stuff. Yeah, it's the Andy Stump approach. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's like right now my personal life is is just like, it, it's, I, I try to get three workouts in a week and that's on a really good week. And well, you're they, also I just, a new mom. That's just it. It's the intensity. My husband is still gone. He's in training. And so um, there's- You mean hiding? Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he went out for a pack of cigarettes and never returned. Does she walk yet? <laughs> okay. He's like, keep me posted. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. going to be employed for the next seven years. When she comes back, she's ready for middle school. He contacts me through Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and a weird set of uh, um, smoke signals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got a couple Indian blankets that he's you know, I, hiding I, under. I, yeah, so I, I mean, it's it's definitely a challenge time-wise. I try to make, not make that an excuse because um, there is time. You can carve out the time. It's just how do you... How do you prioritize your life? Like, you know, what is your release? How do you want to spend your time? And part of it too is like, you know, I I just, for my daughter, like she's getting to the age where she recognizes the things that I'm doing. And so I, you know, I'll take her out to the garage. Even if it's only a 20 minute workout, I want her to see, I want her to see me doing movements and engaging with her and that kind of thing. And it's very amusing to her at this age. So, um, so yeah, the training has definitely changed, but I still, you know, Dude. the things lift heavy and do sprints. I mean, that's, that's like the CrossFit football stable. You would be amazed at the things that kids notice. Like we went to dinner last night and, uh, some of, uh, Kate's barn mom's friends mm-hmm. came and the one lady, did you notice got that massive piece of cheesecake? Delicious. And, uh, we saw it like, did I notice? Up, yeah, no, like all of a sudden this cheesecake comes and like, I see everybody like look up at it and the lady sits down and starts hammering this cheesecake. And we, and we get in the car, and what are the first thing the girls say? How come she gets cheesecake every time? Huh. And I'm, like, like it's they, good they're at the age where they wait into the car. <laughs> uh, uh, norm, normally, Jamie will just yeah, like they're, Jamie they're smart. Jamie is such a character. My God, she's. Uh, Kelly was like, yeah, there's some teachers at school that have been asking me to run track, you know, because I'm good. And Jamie's like, no one's asking you that. <laughs> Name one person. Like it's it was hilarious. She's like, who? No one is asking you to run track. Like, it was, uh, yep, it's uh, ball buster. Uh, relentless. They're so young too. And like, I know. Oh, I, I, I know you know. <laughs> but recipient like, A, they practiced uh, on you. I fucking hear it. And and the funny because uh, Kelly will be like, oh, I did really good on my on my spelling test. Did you hear? Yeah. And Jamie's like, oh, it's because they're fourth grade words. <laughs> so Jamie got pushed, uh, or not not pushed because um, she was just so they basically just put her in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So she's like uh, um, a year ahead. She's like, well, yeah, because those are fourth grade words. <laughs> and so like we're driving in the car today. I take her to school on Fridays and uh, we're like practicing our words. And I'm like, hey, do you want to practice words? She's like, no, this shit's, ba-, you know, like, uh, Baby games. yeah, it's basically this stuff's so easy. <laughs> like I'll just ace it. And so like she's asking me and, and I was like, well, what are the words? So, like, let me do the spelling test. Uh-oh. And uh, thank God I was able to ace them. But um, nice. uh, the thing is, uh, because Jamie reads so much, mm-hmm. her vocabulary and her spelling is so good. And I yeah. try to extend that to Kelly, but she's like, uh. So. It's good that though that they have different interests. They don't, you know, I mean, they, they're becoming their own well, people. Uh, so the one that um, 
uh, Jamie plays basketball, and so we're trying to find another sport for her, and I wanted to do jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And so I want to go do it again. Uh, Todd White's been hitting me up to go over to his place, and so I was like, Jamie, why don't we do this? Like, I'll go, like, I'm more than happy to go watch you do this. I mean, dude, I grew up in, you know, doing martial arts, and I think this would be so good for you. And I guess one of the girls at school, she's like, she does jujitsu. I'm like, well, she pushed you around. She's like, yeah, she's kind of mean. I'm like, would you be like to get her, you know, through you in an armbar? Wouldn't you know how to defend Wouldn't yourself? Wouldn't you like to choke her out? <laughs> and, uh, and then I was like, well, what if you and Killy get a thing and you would have uh, skills on her? And she's like, yeah, that would be way better than volleyball. Yeah. I'm like, let's do it. Let's get into that's it. That's cool. They, there's a, so that's one of the things, uh, I think you and I were talking about how, so Lexi convinced me after we had a podcast with uh, jujitsu guys who are very focused on jujitsu and law enforcement. And so they were kind of shaming me, like, why, why is this not a priority for you? Like a lot of fights go to the ground and you don't know what to do. And they're a hundred percent right. Like I have probably two go-to moves that I do all the time for people on the ground. And, um, they've been, what successful. Is it? well, one of, one of them is a cross face. So you get them on your, yeah. their stomach and you, you basically drive their, your forearm into their cheekbone yeah, and here turn their head. And, and then you just kind of lean back and, um, it's a little bit of a pain compliance thing. And then they usually put their arms out. So it's people who are like turtled up, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and then the other one is just kind of like, um, it depends. I mean, it depends what we're doing, but it's, if you're on the lower end, like a leg lock type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get um, like ankle locks and knee locks. Yeah. It's typically, you're typically two officers and one person. But, um, so, so after that podcast, you know, I was like, you know, they're right. Like I need to prioritize this among all the other things, like going to the range and, you know, trying to work that into like my training schedule and stuff. So she took me to our, our, uh, department does some jujitsu stuff. And so she took me there and I had my first class and it was good. It's very ritualistic. Like everybody is very warm and welcoming, even if you're brand new, but they were, you know, light years beyond me. And then, um, I just, I just was like, yeah, it was a good experience. I think I'll try to pursue some training with that. And she, Lexi being the good person that she is, I don't think she believed me. So she bought me a gi and put nice. it on my work desk. And the trainer that I was working with gave me a white belt. And it was like one of those things where symbolically oh. they were like, if you need buy-in, now you have no excuse. <laughs> yeah. Language now, of love. Now, it, now you have the uniform. I will tell you that had they not done that, there's a high probability I would never, but because they bought into me just symbolically and kind of shamed me into it. Like now you have no excuse. You yeah. have like everything that you need. And now all you have to do is find the time. So now every week I've been going and doing a one-on-one training with someone. He's actually in town. He just texted me, but he's in, he's in town. And it brings me back to, he has a, uh, we probably have done maybe 10 sessions or something, but the, one of the last sessions we did, he brought his eight-year-old daughter who does jujitsu and we were practicing together and stuff. And he's like, you're about the same skill level as like my eight-year-old daughter. Yeah. And it's like, I might have size on her, but like she's learning all the same things that I'm learning and she's, you know, she's got like a brain half the size of mine. And it's just like, it's really great and humbling. And, and, you know, it's just interesting to see someone at that age develop these skills and comfort with their body and comfort, like just in all these aspects. So yeah, I mean, I would highly recommend it. And actually one of the things Lexi does too, is she goes to, Lexi goes to a separate wrestling class mm. in, in Tacoma. So aside from just jujitsu, wrestling is another good approach because they still mm-hmm. do classes and, you know, how to, um, what the fuck is it? Well, term? it's it's uh it's being comfortable with people like on top of you, like yeah. and I mean like and, and I know it sounds kind of weird, but like uh what people really kind of struggle with is like having the pressure, you yeah, know, like you know somebody on them like in that position, and I think like and knowing you you have options. This yeah. is not this is not like a fatalistic position at all. You just have to know what to do, and that's the problem. Is like when you know when we w- I would go to training for the department. If someone if someone mounted me, I was like. 
all right, I'm ready to take it. Like, you know, just cover my face and take some hits and yeah, like try but, to buck them off and stuff. But now I have other skills. Well, yeah. I mean, you also know that like if you're on the ground and somebody kind of gets you in full mount, you have to like cover close distance and keep them as close as you hug can them. and try yeah. to do something. Yeah, because Because if they create distance, that's when all of a sudden you yeah, get fucking you get, dropped with an elbow. Yeah, that's when you get your face rearranged. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with, yeah, yeah. Just hug them, hug them and find a good point where you're not using too much strength and... Um, you know, see if like, even like my coach now, he's like, all right, he's, you know, I have him in this really tight position. He's like, now access your radio. And so like, how do you maintain, uh, uh, can yeah. you access He's like, all right, does it make you think of your gear configuration differently? You know? And so all of these little Are you guys elements, wearing helmets? No. Uh, well for the, for the protest. Yes. For the protest. Yeah. But if you're on regular, so you, the way it works now is you have to bring that, uh, it's called the UA, which is unusual, uh, unusual, a, I can't remember what it, but it's like unusual event type thing. UO, unusual activity, activity or something. Yeah. A, a bag. Why don't they just call it like a riot gear bag? Just but, a fucking go but, bag. Yeah, keep it in your trunk. It's like it's what we call hats and bats, basically. So, yeah. um, and so yeah, you have to have it, but um, but yeah. you don't wear it on patrol. So you wear a helmet, like have a huge dildo. Like a, oh my God. Like a huge purple Hats dildo. And bats. Wouldn't it be Whole great new. if they just gave you guys dildos and you're like, okay, you're going to hit me with the dildo. I'm going to hit you back with it. There this you is go. This training. Oh my God. You're like, it's called King Dong and you're getting hit right in the face with it. I would, I mean, at that point, at that point, if that, I mean, I know we're joking, but at that point I'd have to be like, all right, this is not the career for me. <laughs> I'm just not going to take a dildo to the face. Like it's just, it's outside of my personal life. It's just not happening. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I worked at CrossFit Balboa. <laughs> I worked at CrossFit Dupont. <laughs> yeah, that's probably more of a... <laughs> Hi, Eric Peterson. Hi. Hey. Hi. Hi. I talked to him recently. He, he uh, FaceTimed me on like last Saturday and we, we talked. Uh, he FaceTimed me, Eric Peterson. Was he drinking mimosa? He had, I don't know what he was drinking. Glitter? Was he glitter? Yeah, glitter all oh. over his face. And it, I was like, oh my God, what do you have on your face? And he, of course, in pure... Eric He's like Botox? He was like... I don't know what you're talking about. And he, he's like, this is just Funny. my standard, like, <laughs> make, he's just like, the way I look, he's like, Carrie, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like okay. He's Carrie like, it's, it's, uh, yeah. he's like, it's amazing what a little Botox and some glitter does on a Saturday morning <laughs> with a mimosa. Man, he looks good. He looks so good. I'm curious where he's training. You, you know, uh, yeah. You know what he, you know, what's super funny too is like, um, I always joke about when I used to hang out with him, if we were like getting brunch or something, we'd go back to his place and he'd put on like 84 Olympics gymnastics. Um, he was a, he was a gymnast I know, I know. and, um, so he would put, I, that, he would send me the pictures of him doing full aerials yeah, yeah. and like, so, yeah. so he's when like he, six, four, two, four, two forty. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. he's yeah. But he can still probably do a back tuck anyway. So I'm talking with him and I'm like, so what are you doing? And he just like turns the phone and he's watching like whatever the, the 1988 Olympics or something in gymnastics on TV. And he's like talking to me about the Russian gymnast and all the stuff. And, it's he still, I mean, he's, he's just, he's such a great guy. He, he enriches my life, you know? Still. Still so much. Tex, you don't talk to him every Sunday? No, no. He, he thinks of you fondly though. Cause we talked about, you know, oh, he's great dude. when, uh, when we were, we left DuPont and essentially like management was taken out or whatever. And they, he was assistant coaching and you gave him a card, like a thank you card, like a thank you for your service type thing. And of course, because you write really great cards, he was like, I still have that card like in like, you know, in my card box, like next to my nightstand or whatever. Cause he said it was one of the nicest cards I've ever received in my life. He's like, oh. he told me quote, I will never throw it away. Wow. 
So I don't know. It's going to the grave with him. Wow. The, what language of love would that be? I, what is that? Words uh, of affirmation. Am I, Words of oh, affirmation. I guess maybe that's what I am. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. So there you go. We've covered that. Mm-hmm. What else? Is there a language of love that has to do with glitter bombs? Uh, or yeah, a sense we, of humor with glitter bombs? We can't talk about it on air, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we can't discuss that openly. Uh, so what do you think the future of law enforcement is? I mean, uh, um, like... The, robots. Well, I mean, we had the <laughs> guy on, on, on the uh, podcast with, with the, oh, with the Rick, drone tasers. Rick Smith. Yeah. Smith. The end of killing. Yeah, you know. Fascinating. That killing, uh, you know, having is a, a traffic... technology sp- issue. Did that yeah. motivate you to Sorry read his book? Um it did. However, I, I never did. I mean, it was motivating. <laughs> I just never reached the point of action. Uh, I will <laughs> gift you really the book. Oh, you mean you. a present? Yes. I or t- gifts. But I was telling you last night. I don't need. The, I don't actually want to read. I just need the text notes. The Chris notes is what I called it. Cliff oh, notes. Like, Chris notes. I oh, just, I got it. Yeah, I just. Need you, <laughs> I just need you to tell me. It's like Lexi. She's a big reader too. I'm like. No, no, no. I don't want to borrow the book. I don't want to add something to my plate. Like, just you, fucking tell well, me what it's about. Uh, I love reading. Uh, the problem is finding time. That, uh, <laughs> oh, dude, like, like it, it's, it's funny. I'll sit down and I'll start reading and I'll be like maybe three pages in and then somebody will come over and ask me a question and then like Squirrel. something else. And you're like, ah, oh, and then you come back. You're like, okay, what did I read? And you start going again. And you're like, dude, I get my one hour of reading. I got to get through at least 20 pages Good so I can read. You. You know, uh, if X I start reading, books. I'm immediately like, that's because you're a mom. Is it? Yeah, it's because those things suck the life force out what of you. What about all the years before that that I was? Uh, well. <laughs> that's because I raged and I was tired. <laughs> yeah. Different type. I was, yeah. Uh, party glasses. What'd you call those little things? Oh, uh, lensal sprains? Yeah, like when she popped the lens out, when all of a sudden I see hints with just one lens in. Uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, uh, you know, what was it? The wallflowers, one headlight. One headlight. Yeah, we have to post. We have a couple pictures of from like way oh, back one, in the day of like uh, that, you are covered in glitter. With Eric these. Peterson glittered on me, and I think uh-huh. I have lenses for him. I have. He plenty. literally threw glitter in my face, like an you actual. Know, did, uh, do you think he has like a glitterologist, like somebody who like plans his glitter bombs? Lit- glitter guru, uh, yeah, probably. Like he's he's like, hey, I got to swing by and pick up my glitter bombs. My glitterologist. It's like is an bo- exchange. Like they don't actually touch each other's hand. It's just no. Like, he, he like walks into the glitter store and it's like put the money. I in. like it. It kind of reminds me of like when Pee Wee Herman goes into like the joke store oh. and the guy's like, I have something special for you, Pee Wee. <laughs> and the guy like comes out with a box. He's like, Thanks, Mister Glitter Man. Oh, for people who are not from that generation, Pee Wee Herman is a movie from. <laughs> So when we were kids, there was a movie called Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Pee-wee's and Big, in it, Pee-wee's he, Playhouse. Yeah, he. Well, that was the TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, mem- remember, all of a sudden, like the secret word would go out, and all of a sudden, the couch would be like, Bah-h! yeah, and like, oh, I loved it. <laughs> and then he came out to be uh, a little Old bit of a pretty dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think he just a got real Sam uh, Did did he get caught in a movie theater? Yeah, and, like, yeah. yeah. One out? It was mm-hmm. for adults, not kids. I guess. Yeah, we he just clarify. was. You know, he was a little lonely. When he there, was just pervy. You know, and then what were they doing? They they had some sting in there that they were trying to catch dudes in there. I also don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they caught him. And then they're and, and then the worst is they like got him like hemmed up, and he's like, "Hey, uh, I'm Pee Wee Herman." And they were like, "Uh, we got Pee Wee Herman on the line." They're and, like, "Dunna, dunna, nana, that one." Like, yeah. <laughs> oh God! I say we let him go. Oh man, that that movie though was partly <laughs> uh, creepy. Dude. 
we saw that movie in the movie theaters when I was a kid, and I remember we like rode our bikes to the movie and we watched it. Oh, creepy! And like the whole time when he like wraps the bike up and like puts the chain on it, we're like, "Is our fucking bike gonna get stolen?" Yeah. And like, thank God we went out and our bikes weren't stolen. Yeah. But I remember watching it and like thinking it was hilarious. Now uh, I watched it with the kids over Uh-oh. quarantine. And they were like, this is the dumbest shit we've ever seen. Yeah. I'm like, this I was hilarious see, when I was your I age. I can see that. It's probably just so like... Well, they're, they're like, why is he talking like that? Why is he wearing makeup? And what's up with that suit? Huh, they're well, so what, yeah. mature now. Like. <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine the shows they've consumed versus what you had the opportunity to do. Yeah, you have them on like documentaries now. They're not interested in like that lowbrow no, nonsense. They, uh, Slap dick humor. They're like... Let's watch. It's, called, it's called slapstick. Oh, let's watch my octopus teacher. The, you realize that's a, uh, a a genre of comedy. There was a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a language. Slapstick. No, I, I actually took Physical a class comedy. in college Slaps- called Rhetoric of Slapstick Comedy, and we watched all the original slapstick oh, I, comedies. Is that like Three Stooges? Uh, no, it's it, it started with like some like them hot was in there, and oh. like uh, a bunch of those movies like Marilyn Monroe, which were kind of mm-hmm. funny movies. Mm-hmm. But they, there was a whole genre of slapstick comedy. I was so. gonna burn myself. I played college <laughs> lacrosse, slapdick humor. Oh. Ball tapping's my game. Yeah, you uh, you really <gasps> were fighting did, for that one. Why do guys do that? Ball tap? Yeah. It's funny. But they're always like, like they can't function for a good five minutes after that. Well, it just depends on how good they get If it. you got hit. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of thigh shots in there. can't hurt that bad. Come on, you guys. Uh, uh, quiet on this Taser. side of the table. Taser. Yeah. Taser, <laughs> just matter to use Luke Summers' humor. Oh my God, um, my nickname. We watched that video last night. That was uh, oh, traumatizing. Taser. What have you getting taste? P- PTSD. Yeah, yeah. It sure. I'll take that. I'll take ten tases over another wax. Oh really? Yes. Ooh. All right. Well, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. <laughs> All right. Wait. And then me. the worst is text takes it. Right, goes down, and then of course Luke has to jump in there to one up him. So, and then the fucking, and then the dude misses and doesn't yeah. get it in. Like it goes into his belt, and Luke's like, "I don't know what happened. It felt fine. He I don't know why." Yeah, looked. he did not have well NMI, which is like the neuromuscular lockup. No, like it hit his fucking belt, his to, leather belt. You like have there to have was two points of yeah. contact. Yeah, there has to be a positive and a negative. And it, he looked like such a like a badass, but I guarantee you, it was. Not the no. same experience. So I'm like, just the, the, like the the guy gets it right. Uh, it was Tyson gets it right in Texas back. And I, I, I yeah. want to say he uh, got it. Butt, 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 butt cheek. That's because your yeah. Your posterior chain, to be fair, is much oh, stronger and bigger than well, Luke Summer. I got a bigger well, target. Well, it's, he, he's like a CrossFit girl. <laughs> <laughs> all quads and all butt, no hamstrings. Who, <laughs> <laughs> Luke? Pro. No, uh, Mr. CrossFit girl, butt over here. Not quads. You, you're your butt. Hammy guy, aren't you? Oh yeah, I'm yeah. Very... he's got no hamstrings. Just... I've never Dude, seen a separation. I will get up on this. T- this is why we got I the YouTube. I will take my pants off. So help me God. Well, you can't see it through all the hair. How how can you have a butt and no hamstrings? How can uh, you isolate? That was uh, that was true within all the CrossFit girls that I, we've run I into. I don't believe that. They only had they it's, they faked it. They would stick here. their butt out. Yeah, he got a hamstring. Uh no. Yeah, I'm not did. really seeing. Oh God. Well, you're oh. flex. Flex. I, I see no hamstring. Oh, there maybe, it is. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a baby hamster. There's no separation in those suckers. All right. That's your honey baked right there. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, shit. Tune into YouTube for that one, listeners. <laughs> That's a weird one. Yeah, text just stood up on the table. and uh, It wouldn't the, be the first time on Power Athlete Radio. Promo image. Texas uh, hamstring. Coach Mike, Mart- like this. Mike uh, Martino. Uh, <laughs> uh, put, put us through a foot assessment. 
on. Oh, that was a good one. That's on the YouTube as well. I need to do on more the of YouTube. That. Um, I need to do some foot stuff, active foot stuff. Take the the shoes and whatnot off. What kind of boots on. do you wear? I wear so they they have an Under Armour brand that's more of like a super light. The only problem is the typically Under Armour they use like kind of a sneaker but high boot design, so all of the material is permeable. So if someone vomits on you or you're in like a puddle or something, it's water resistant but but not waterproof. Like regular leather boots, you gotta like spray those suckers with oh, like Scotch like, Bride or something. I mean, if or you just go, throw them away. If you go to like a DU, D, uh, DOA where somebody has just been like everything's kind of sloughing out and stuff. Those are not boots that you want to wear again because it's like it's per, it's permeable, you know. So anyway, I, I I will most likely make a transition out of those boots. They're just super light. Like if you get yeah. the leather ones, you're like, oh my god, yeah. these are until just they old break school a, baits or whatever, like, or like even like Danners or exactly, some of those, yeah. uh, like um, especially in the Pacific Northwest. There's some cool boot mag like Danner. uh, like Danners uh, white boots. Oh, I've never is um, like they're super high end, but I just remember there's all these like custom boot makers that make these like super high end. And the only way I know this is uh, uh, Jade Marsh, you know, mm-hmm. Jade who uh, worked with Starling Gear. Jade was like kind of a, a boot connoisseur. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I was like, man, well, those boots are cool. Where'd you get those things? He's like, oh, they're, you know, custom uh, Nick's boots or, mm-hmm. you know, something. And, uh, so I looked them up online. I'm like, wow, $600 for a they, set of oh work boots. God. For the, le- the real deal, like legit leather hard. And it takes, you know, a year to break them yeah. in. You're like, yeah, all I'm, right, in two years, these are going to feel great. You're like, like sitting in the bathtub drinking martinis, hoping these things fucking break in. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that, that, that boot thing has changed. They, they just don't have though the lifespan. So you can get super light, comfortable ones, but it, you're going to wear them for a year and that's it. Um, and most people... I, I like that because they're comfortable. I mean, if you spend a lot of time on your feet, so, and then you know, I don't have to change them for a bicycle or anything like that. They're pretty pliable, so you can hop on a bike and that kind of thing. So, does that happen to you? Like, just jump on your bike in the middle uh, of the just trail? commandeer people's bikes during ah. the pursuit, like oh. boom. <laughs> You're like, I'm the police. Get yeah. off your bike. Yeah, no, no. The coolest thing though is we had an officer commandeer a jet ski to save somebody who was drowning, and oh. he got he got like a accommodation for that. However, was it's it like, like a little jet ski on his uniform? Uh, <laughs> that, that would be funny. I don't know what he got, but he got some sort of award. But, you know, two thumbs up. If, if he had been commandeering a jet ski to take someone into custody, it would probably be frowned upon. You know what I mean? It's like two different, you know, life saving versus enforcing the law. So, who's rolling a jet ski in Seattle? There was just some jet ski down on like the sound or something. I can't remember exactly where it was. The water but... is cold as shit. Uh, yeah. He like yeah. jumped on that thing. And I mean, good thing he had jet ski skills. Yeah. We, people are resilient though. Yeah. I mean, Lexi rescued someone from the water and she, I think her, her couple of her mags and even her, she was wearing a metal badge at the time. We had the patches, but even that fell into the water and they, the Harbor Patrol went back and retrieved her mags and, and the, the badge and the badge was all rusted and stuff. So she kept, she got to keep it and get like a new one. So that's kind of cool. Like a cool, like she was reaching in to get like somebody who was trying to come up and anyway. So it's kind of a cool thing, but yeah, like oh, Harbor Patrol's good for something. They should have been doing the rescue, but. That's uh, all right. Yeah. It's semantics. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. Anyway, that's all the good stories I have. Have you ever saved anyone's life? Probably not, no. 
Well, no, not that you know oh, of. Oh, I mean... Not the one-to-one. Maybe I, some impact. I've never... Well, I mean, I've applied like a lot of tourniquets and things like... Well, a lot. I say maybe like four or five in my career applied tourniquets. That's more than us. But I don't know if those injuries necessarily, like, they would would have caused them to bleed out. It's just for me, if you're shot in a place that you can, I can use a tourniquet, I'm going to. Like, if you're shot in the leg or near sure. the hip or something like that, then absolutely I'm going to. And uh, so I've done a lot of tourniquets. I just don't know... I mean, there, I've also applied to people who died, you know? And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say if I've saved, I don't think so. Do, do you think, um, um, like maybe, I mean, and, and I've, I've always felt that like the reason that, uh, maybe some of these situations happen is that, uh, one cops maybe aren't trained enough to like realize escalation of force as quickly as they need to. And they don't have the skills. So I think for a lot of this stuff, like, uh, you know, if you're fairly decent with your hands and like maybe a jujitsu practitioner or understand leverage or whatnot, all of a sudden you're in a situation where like, you know, like let's say that kid who goes to get back in the car and she, you know, thinks she has a taser and, uh, you know, hits him with, you know, obviously a gun in terms of a contact. It was like she was trying to like drive stun. Yeah. Drive stun him and pull the gun and did a contact shot. I mean, if she was probably a little bit more trained and understand how to subdue somebody as he goes back to get into the car mm-hmm. all of a sudden she like you know keeps the door open and all of a sudden gets him into some form of you know situation some altercation some hold or something that allows yeah, other officers on. and yeah i mean and that's it's the tricky thing is because you don't you you weren't there you can't put yourself in that position but you can i think there is value to i don't want to say monday morning quarterback but you can always learn from other people's experience and so you know we de- debrief a lot of stuff like that at least I mean, I'm talking about like Lexi and I, because we constantly want to be thinking about what we would do in that situation. And one of the, you know, we debated because one of the tactics we learn is to push someone into that, um, into that corner where the yeah. doors open, push yep. them and face them in that direction. And, and then, then use, use the that door to leverage their, them. Mm-hmm, yeah. And she said that there is an opportunity for them to shut the door and she would have pulled them away from the car because she, you know, she's picking it up on body language and says he's trying to drive the car away, that kind of thing. And so she, you know, we both had, we talked about it. And so, you know, there's no, there's no one way, but I think the best thing to do is if there is not a weapon being introduced or you're not being overwhelmed by someone, always stay hands-on, wrap them up. I mean, that's, you don't even have to use um, strikes or anything. You can just wrap the person up and control their movements like that. So again, I don't want to put myself in someone else's shoes in that scenario. Maybe she saw something that we didn't or that, you know, she felt she was that, that when she had been trained, a taser was a very appropriate use in w- which it may very well have been. But um, for us, we try to stay hands on for as long as possible. It's just, I mean, well, the the other one too is, um, you know, uh, you're not allowed to carry your taser on the same side as your gun. Yeah. So, like most times when you see police officers, like if they're right-handed and the gun's on their right side, the taser is usually on the left side. And even for me, or even I put on a it, drop. Yeah. You know? Even for me, I change. I, yeah, not only the opposite side, but I change the the, the level. It's oh, it's a drop man. holster, so it's yeah. there's no question. I'm doing a completely different movement pattern to retrieve it. Some people also put it like facing the other way, so you have to. The whole idea with a taser too is that you have time distance to make that decision. And so if you put it in opposite direction, even if you have to kind of finagle it into the right position, it's a clear distinction that it's a completely different Did, uh, tool. Were there tasers, I mean, contact tasers, but they also shoot uh, yeah, barbs. Yeah, so that, uh, every so taser is, you, you You can use a drive stun. Or um, you can use the barbs. Contact, or you use the, the barbs to, for distance. Yeah, but I mean, if, if, if you're in a situation, well, I, I could see the guy was trying to get back in the car, so it wasn't like the distance 
was there to be able to yeah you probably wouldn't want to do that yeah. that's why you want to close close that gap close the distance but i mean they probably could have just done that by wrapping him up but uh buying some time wasn't there also like um and i hate monday morning quarterback and this stuff but like well, um, that's what we're doing <laughs> i mean but but think about too the other one is um you know on the stop i mean I've had numerous times where the officer asks, can you turn off the car, please? Can mm-hmm. I see the keys on the dash? You know, and that's something I always do. I always turn the car off and put the keys on the dash. Well, you know, that, roll the windows down. That sounds like a very, Cal- that's a very California thing. Too. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's not something we typically do unless I run a plate and I know that the, that the, the driver, I mean, I know that the registered owner, cause you could have a different driver than the registered owner. But if I run the plate and then I run whoever's attributed as a registered owner, they have a warrant then that might be a situation where I'm, I know I'm gonna make an arrest, right? If they match the description, I can kind of see that I'm already gonna put myself, get the keys out of the way, whatever. It, and um, and they might move, say, am I being detained? Closer, and I, okay, yeah. I might say like, am I being detained? And, and you're like, yeah, you absolutely are, you know? Well, yeah, like um, I always figured just like, turn, like just turning the car off, or like here are the keys, turning the car off. Like, I mean, that to me is uh, just, uh, a good move. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm always amazed when people leave the car running mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, I always turn the car off, like yeah. roll the windows down. So can, when the cop comes up, he sees it, like, you know, who's in the car. Don't make any sudden movements. You can a- you can absolutely just ask someone to do that. And it's a great feeler router for what the person. Hey, can you just turn the car off for me? Yeah. Hey, yeah. do you mind turning the car off? It's a little hard for me to hear you right now. Yeah. And that's, that's it. Like, even if you just want to turn it off, um, if you tell them to put the keys away that they're, that now you're kind of, you're kind of you're like kind of mapping out the tone of the conversation, but yeah, it's a great way to just kind of, Hey, like, Hey, I can't hear you over the engine or can you turn your radio on? Okay. Now can you turn your car off? Cause now I can hear you a little bit better. And I've got a camera. So I want to make sure we, we can uh, yeah. get, get us on video or whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now he goes back and gets in the car. He's going to have to not only search for the keys, put them in the ignition turn, which is going to give you a good opportunity for a lot of different things. Yeah. I mean, it buys you a little time and, um, I, you, those little questions, they're not like it's, you're not legally obligated to turn your vehicle vehicle off, um, you know, during a traditional traffic stop or anything, but it's a, it's a great feeler for just like, what's our interaction going to be like you know um if a person refuses to turn on their radio or something and you're just like all right now i know where kind of like this person's mindset is in terms of like our interaction there we're not starting from a mutual respect type thing um and so yeah it's just, it's like anything any other human interaction man you know? last time i got pulled over was for, for not having any uh front license plate mm-hmm. and um obviously that that bracket fell off like <laughs> you know, 10 years ago mm-hmm. and a uh, cop pulled me over and it was funny cause uh, he was driving the other way, made a U-turn and then pulled me over. And when I asked him why he pulled me and I, you know, you know, first question I asked like, Hey, you know, how can I help officer? You know, why I pulled you over and I'm like, no, I wasn't speeding, <laughs> which is usually I am speeding. And uh, he's like, you have no front license plate. And I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, like at that point, it's a fix-it ticket. Yeah. And then the guy proceeds, do you have a gun in the car? Yeah, well, here's my, you know, concealed carry permit. And we go through this whole thing. And like, it was he just... He asked you? Um, well, it, in uh, in Texas, when you hand your license... I always just tell someone if I'm, I have been pulled over or yeah. not, I just say, hey, just so you know, I have a... I have a I have a firearm. It's located here, and I have a you know whatever sworn. Yeah, I've been pulled over a couple times in the Austin area and been asked that yeah. twice, mm-hmm. and just yeah. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I guess it's knife. probably more commonplace yeah. here. So that um, yeah, I mean, that's I just assume everybody in Texas has a gun. Yeah. But yeah, that was uh, one of the questions, and and uh, ended up writing me a fix-it ticket, which I thought was like, wow, you must be really bored today. <laughs> Maybe so. Well, yeah. Just an easy win. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's just, they got to do their job. That's part of enforcing. It's 
part of enforcing laws. I mean, it's also, you know, there's, there may be receiving pressure not to do other types of proactive policing, you know, and so traffic is one of the, it's like the final frontier of proactive policing where you're like, okay, I can still stop people for traffic violations or moving violations. Yeah, but I mean, it feels like these traffic stops for kind of traffic violations is usually what leads to the... Yeah. You know, I mean, which is what happened with this kid. I mean, obviously the Chauvin deal yeah. with George Floyd was a little different. I well, mean, that's what I'm saying. They yeah, called I, him on, you know, passing, you know, counterfeit pre, 20s. Like a pretense type stop. But um, but if there isn't, but if there's a valid violation, you can stop them and investigate further for other crimes. And that's just, I mean, that's as, as the law reads. So that's what I mean. It is one of the last forms of like proactive policing. It's just, I mean, if you're driving around a car that has expired tabs two years old expired you're gonna get stopped and see it like you're gonna get stopped and if you have um, it drugs in your uh cup holder you're you're gonna get arrested you're gonna get taken out of the car you know and so so yeah it is it's not the worst what uh what happens when we get into like a legal like uh happened in oregon where they legalized everything uh it's it's very similar. I mean, they not that they've they've legalized a lot of things in Seattle, but they've what I would say decriminalized a lot of other like um, so they make they make the uh, quantity of things like methamphetamine. They make the kind of what they would call the filing standard. So in order for the courts to file it, mm-hmm. um, the city to file, uh, they make the standard so high that you have to read. It's basically only a dealer would have that amount. So there, so to be like a methamphetamine user, you're never going to have a certain amount, like, you know, um, 0.5 grams or something is an outrageous amount of, um, user meth. I mean, it's a set. And if you're a meth head, you've already gone through that. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, so it's impossible to file on the user now. So I would say it's not that it's legal. It's just, it doesn't meet the filing standards and gets thrown out. It's just decriminalized is how I would phrase it. Um, so yeah, so it's just an interesting, it has to meet a certain bar because there's high demands on our court system and they're, you know, they're struggling with everything else with staffing and trying to get lots of cases through. And, um, so yeah, it's just interesting that that is how our judicial system operates. It's like, Look, we got a we got a lot on our plate, so we're going to take meth and we're going to make the bar a little higher, so that we're not processing as many you know people and whatever. Um, so on the street, if you stop some guy and um, like you said, a traffic stop, and you go in, he's got meth in his center console. Is it something where you guys are like pulling the baggie out and going and weighing it and being like, oh, I guess you know this is per- personal consumption. Good day, sir. Well, if it's not on his person and it's in the vehicle, the ve- as soon as we see it, the vehicle is going to be towed to a processing center, and they because it's inside the vehicle, you'll you'll most likely have um, pictures taken of it, uh, and you'll have uh, you'll have to get like a little warrant to go into the car to get it out. Um, if it's on his person he, and he's under arrest, and you're doing a search, which is more often the case, they have it on their person or in their sock or maybe in their hat or something. Then yeah, you go through it, you take it back to the precinct, you weigh it. You do a test on it to ensure that it's methamphetamine, not some other substance. Well, you, you have to do a couple of rails yourself. <laughs> Absolutely not. A couple of bumps. Yeah, what's You're it, like, what's uh, it smell like? Yeah, like uh, how many of these bumps do we have to do Smells. to know that uh, this is real meth? I don't even think meth has a smell. Heroin has a very distinct smell, um, and it smells like vinegar, essentially. But yeah, um, so that you can really tell. Um, but yeah, so you, you, you weigh it, you go through that whole process, and you put it in for evidence and... Um, you know, now with body cams, it's really great because you can just film the whole thing and, you know, that's, that goes into You're like, are you getting this? Yeah. Are you getting this? Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of just the process and 
you know, a lot of times, even if it's a small amount, you still, because it's still a crime to have to be in possession, you know, usually, especially if you're arresting the person for another crime as well, it just helps, it helps kind of show like, you know, the, you know, the criminal intention of the person. Like if, if they've assaulted someone and they're under arrest for an assault and then you find meth on them, you're like, okay, well, they're, you know, now we can add that charge as part of the greater crime, which was the assault. If it was just the meth in and of itself, it would most likely be get kicked out. So, mm-hmm. um, so it just kind of, uh, it contributes to the case. So anyway, I can hear Josie screaming over there. So, oh yeah. Which oh. probably, yeah. I should probably, you guys can. No, I'll probably wrap it up. Yeah, sorry that we talked so much about. No, but it's, it's, it's it's an interesting. It, believe me, uh, I find law enforcement so interesting, especially um, you know in today's environment with um, you know not only lockdowns and I think um, I said this during the lockdowns, which is I think is coming to fruition, which I was totally afraid of, which was um, uh, when the lockdowns happened and you know our our elected officials were using law enforcement as their agents to go, um, you know, enforce enforce something that, uh, like you legally can't do in this country where, you know, guaranteed the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And we were putting uh, a lockdown in place. That was one that was forcing people into this essential, non essential business, forcing people to stay in your homes. And I could no longer, you know, basically denying me what it is to be an American, which is the, you know, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You're You're denying me these things. And they're using the agents of the government, um, which are is a shitty position because law enforcement, you know, that's the you know that's the arm they were using to like yeah. send people out and enforce this shit. Yeah. And um, luckily, and, I have to say, I didn't. I've never heard of anyone being locked up for COVID stuff. I've heard well, the businesses but, and issues like that. But there were businesses. But I like like there there was a scene where, uh, um, and I think. I don't know if it was in Minnesota where it was, but a lady was outside playing with her kids and the law enforcement came over and, you know, basically told her she had to go back inside and they were mm. out there, you know, trying to enforce these uh, draconian laws. And I, what I said way back when was, uh, if this happens, you're going to have now like uh, a breaking of this social contract where mm-hmm. now you're, you know, being agents of oppression mm-hmm. in such a way that's denying me my life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when this all of a sudden goes away, all of a sudden there's going to be a greater distrust mm-hmm. of law enforcement. And, you know, I've always said, like, this is what's happening, is the reason law enforcement works is because of the social contract. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm giving you the right to be to go through this process that I've agreed to mm-hmm. to basically govern yeah. and, and to implement laws and to invest and do this right. and this is your position. I'm giving you I'm giving you um the ability to take away my temporarily take yeah. away my, my rights to investigate a crime, that kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. uh, uh what happens when people are like I no longer grant you this authority. Right. And now this just looks like somebody coming at me in a uniform with a gun who's, you know, basically trying to take away my life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Well, luckily they had some police chiefs, particularly one in California, who spoke out very openly um, about, you know, I think the governor wanted uh, the police in California to really start to crack down on that. Yeah. And he, there was a chief that was very outspoken against yeah, it. Yeah, the and guy, I, well, I it's the guy set, in San Diego. Yeah, set yeah. the tone pretty well. I, I and, Hats off to him. Well, it, it's just, um, you know, the uh, the problem is, is uh, God, what's the name of the governor in California? Fuck, uh, uh, Gavin Newsom. Newsom. Yeah, I mean, so you, you have Newsom sitting up in his ivory tower, um, you know, uh, you know, with his, uh, you know, uh, indoor dining. Well, with his, uh, I, I, I guess it's the aunt of his wife, who's Nancy Pelosi. Mm. You know, that's a, kind of that power structure, and who's sitting up there and just making I these. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, 
Yeah, there's a whole weird one um, where, you know, he also declared his winery as essential. Like, there's a whole bunch of weird stuff. So he, I, that's he's, argue, he's Plump Jack. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Plump Jack Winery. Mama's had a lot of wine during COVID, yeah. so but, uh, it's been essential. But, but th- this is a situation where they put this in place, and then they look and they go, law enforcement, it's your job to enforce this. And so people are like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, we're, this not, is... we're not bullies. We're not bouncers at a club. Well, there's a but, total but that's, difference. Yeah, yeah, of course. But but yeah. that's that's not the function of law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. So what I always worried about is that social contract exists that like, hey, when you get behind me and you throw those lights on, uh, I've agreed that, you know, now I'm, 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 I'm being detained. Time to pull over. What happens if I'm like, I don't know, it's just some idiot with lights following me. You know, shit, now all of a sudden, like, he's going to be violent with me. I'm going to be violent with him mm-hmm. because no longer do I rep- recognize his social contract. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's just it is the contract is up for review right now. <laughs> and that's what people are. They're like, ah, oh, no, we're not. That's and that's the scary thing is the police are like, no, that contract's still good. And everyone else is like, no, it's not. And so we got to find out how we can negotiate negotiate back to a point where you're right. We people will sacrifice their civil liberties temporarily for us to keep them safe and prevent criminal activity to hold people accountable for their actions. And so we got to get back to a point where that contract is honored by both ends of the spectrum. I mean, well, I mean, look, I mean, this kid obviously trying to get back in the car and like, I was listening to his mom being like, he's scared of the police. And it's like, okay, so he's now looking at it like, Hey, to save my life, I have to get back in this car and you know, even though I've broken these laws, whatever, and now all of a sudden I'm no longer, you know, I'm, I'm fighting off to be a detained and then he ends up dying. Like, yeah, it might very well, you know, that very well may have been the case. He's scared to lose his life. So he tries to get back in the car and then but, loses his life. Yeah. And it's, it, that's just the, that is just the, the sad reality is that there is a perception right now where they, you know, unfortunately that people feel like that is going to be their demise with every interaction with police. And that is but, just not the case. No, it's not. But, but that's, what's being perpetuated by the media. I, I, know. I don't know if you just saw, there was a whole, um, I, like the news I was reading today was, I don't know if you saw the project Veritas deal no. where, um, this guy basically set up a bunch of like Tinder dates with the guy who's the head of CNN, uh, like their programming. Oh. And the guy was bragging about like, yeah, you know, our biggest mission was to get rid of Trump. So we were running stories that had no basis for everything. Oh my God. And like, you know, basically like, hey, this is what we were going to do. This is what our agenda was. And like this dude's like, I, I watched the uh, uh, this guy just being like, yeah, we didn't want Trump. So we ran stories that were talking about him being mentally this and this. And then we ran these uh, these stories. Completely are, is anyone fabricated. surprised? No, no. But it, it's, and then the interesting thing is uh, like, as people are hearing everybody's like oh yeah no we already knew this and yeah. then the other people were like well yeah we thought he was an asshole anyway so we were totally okay with it you're the so, media my but, god uh, but take the, some ownership and responsibility well they are what they're doing is that we're little children yeah. so that oh, we yeah. have to be governed in such a way Led. but the problem is is that the the narrative and they even talked about um the whole deal you've seen with uh like asian american violence happening mm-hmm. um it's being perpetuated by you know black people towards them and 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 they're like we won't run a single story about it until i'm watching this like five different like dates that this guy's on just completely like brain dumping all this information love it i'm I'm, he's volunteering this information on tinder dates on a tinder date that date is is recording it for something called project veritas where they go out and they basically uh and then the guy put it out and then of course twitter banned him Makes um, me think about some of my Tinder dates and no <laughs> things that I've. Uh, but uh, but it, it it's amazing like the brashness that like you know here's somebody basically opening uh you know agreeing that a major network is uh, yeah. running 
false stories to manipulate the perception no of the reservation and, and, whatsoever just... and, and totally brass and bold and, and bragging about it to try to get laid yeah and uh, I'm, I'm sitting there watching this and I'm like shit uh, did it work um, yeah exactly and them running stories about like the police and this and like how they're doing it and you got Don oh, Lemon up right. there who is good who, I'm glad this was a story no. good on the, the date for doing that yeah I mean but it's it, you know and uh, Chris Como and, and Don Lemon like I think are, are by far the to be blamed for most of this stuff by perpetuating it and it's um, it, it's it's an awful thing because the problem is is that the you know their agenda, which is trickling down in terms of like law enforcement, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, we're just trying to do our jobs. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden people think we're like, you know, uh, jackboot thugs that are showing up the night exactly. to steal people. This in, is not in black what I bags. signed up for. Yeah. yeah. Um, serve, because, and, serve and protect. That's that's what we signed up for. Um, anyway, I, I, I. Well, the thing, things are coming I, on. In, yeah. In and I appreciate and I really appreciate you guys giving me the platform because we don't have a lot of platforms, even, you know, to to talk about like what we do and what we're. You know, I've always felt law enforcement is by far one of the most difficult jobs. And, uh, you know, the reason that like, you know, uh, when so many cops that you run into that get kind of so jaded mm-hmm. and just so salty in terms of dealing with this stuff, uh, it's because the interactions every day. It's like we yeah. had, uh, who was who the podcast we did with the gal from, um, uh, who was the fireman? Um, who was talking about uh, uh, Annette Zap? Yep. Uh, yeah. What was uh, like like the mental health? And she's like, you know, Fire after rescue. you go on like seven calls where you've yeah. seen children dead, all of a sudden what they do is they come home and they start drinking, and now all of a sudden alcoholism, uh, suicide, like all this stuff, like you can only see so much ugliness. Where all of a sudden you start like like that just seeps in on you. Uh, yeah, and I am on a break from the street right now, but for anybody who's watching. Uh, if you have an interaction with a police officer or you see one hanging out or whatever, thank, thank them or tell them you don't hate them or, you know, you don't have to buy them a coffee. I know that's kind of antiquated, but you know, you gotta um, buy them a donut. maybe, maybe <laughs> just say hello. Uh, or, Hey, you know, I appreciate you being here or something because, um, it's just not at least where we live. It is not a, it's not commonplace and it's, um, the, the job is difficult right now. So my, um, I have a lot of respect for people that are still doing it and on the street. So I'm, I remember uh, DJ and I were working on a truck and, uh, I jumped in it and DJ was with me and we drove down to get to put diesel in it. And, uh, the, we basically ran out of, out of diesel, mm-hmm. like pulling in and it was right over here on like B cave in 71. Mm-hmm. And so we're stopped and I got DJ out and I'm like basically trying to push the truck. Mm-hmm. And this like cop comes in, lights us up. He's like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, pushing put, a truck, pushing a truck. What does it look like? Right. And, and, and the guy like, uh, you know, looks at me and uh, I was like, I could use some help. Yeah. And the guy like kept his lights Uh-oh. on and he got out and he actually helped me push the truck. And nice. he's like, what, you know, like assholes. I'm like, we just ran out of gas, dude. Like this is, you know, yeah. uh, look, just help, help a neighbor push a truck. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, Anyway, yeah, it's it's not an easy job, but I, again, thanks for letting me chat, and it's always good to catch up with you guys. Yeah. I know a lot's changed over the years, and we've all evolved and stuff. But um, I'm, can you hear that? My God, Nate's out there probably just doing Turkish get-ups with Josie. Yeah, he'll have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's like just like when they uh, like when you have the baby and they hand it to you, and you're like, I don't need a license, or uh, I know. like if you're not gonna check me out. I'm not qualified. That for this was thing. me. Tom was like, No, we got this, and I was like. Do we? <laughs> we? Yeah. yeah. We goose. You mean me? He's like, hold on. I got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, guys. I got to pee. All right. Uh, All right. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Radio, Callie Hensman, thank you so much for 
uh, coming on and regaling us with stories and reminding us that uh, the voice has a face. Yeah, voice has a face. Yeah, a lot of people probably don't even know who I am, but yep, I'm the voice. We got to go way back to episode. Way back old school. (laughs) Oh, oh, was that your Zach Evan old school? Old school. Yeah. All right. right. You know, uh, Zach Evanish, when he hears that, just goes fucking heads pops up. He usually texts me. Well, old school. I know he's watching this one. All right, guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who supported us over the years, and happy 500. Until next time, uh, bye!